welcome to a brand new episode of Sequel Rights, the podcast where we take a look at the franchises that make you go, they made how many of those? And we give each and every sequel a fair trial. My name is Justin Camps, and I'm here with Elizabeth Helley and Tyler Heimson. And boy, oh boy, do we have a jam-packed, absolutely stuffed episode for you guys. I think it's the first time ever we've had two guests on the podcast at the same time. Very exciting. We're talking about a brand new movie. Here we go. What? You guys laughing at me? What? <laughs> well, I just, like, forgot about Joseph it. and Alyssa. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. Let me start over. <laughs> no, no, I don't care. <laughs> now we're going to leave this all in. Anyways, <laughs> this week we're talking about a brand new movie, Bill and Ted Face the Music, the end of the trilogy for Bill and Ted. And we've got a couple special guests with us tonight uh at the end of the podcast you will hear a special interview with the music supervisor jonathan Leahy about all the details you want to hear about the soundtrack for the movie and right now here to talk about the movie itself we have a returning guest mitch thompson from blind covers mitch thanks for being here Hello, sequel ride! Oh, damn, he's got special effects! <laughs> you guys. I put together the most visual bit for an entirely audio podcast. <laughs> wow. Uh, for those that of you at incredible. home, he's got a homemade fog machine and just like. <laughs> going all out here it was an epic entrance there was laser lights i fully plan on using that whenever something just spectacular happens throughout the episode you're gonna run out of fog then because this episode is gonna be fantastic (laughs) jam-packed we've got 80 guests (laughs) for the first time ever anyways you guys uh as we do every week uh where can people reach out to us I can't follow that. Yeah, you can. But... Yeah, you can. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Email us at sequelrights at gmail.com or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Sequel Rights. And please ah. break. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> Read the names again. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> please this is great review us on apple podcast five stars goes a long way uh it seems like it wouldn't mean anything but apparently it does so please <laughs> give us the rating it's helpful hey man we're just trying to match the energy of this movie we just watched and so far we're doing a great job uh so you know what why don't we just get right into it 25 years ago you played a concert in front of the entire world One month ago, you played in Barso, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted, what have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. You were supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. We've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! Take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? (laughs) I had to let that one go long because it's just so good. (laughs) And we've got Holland Taylor, sequel rights alum, just like getting the full lead on that trailer there. So fun, so fun. Yeah, I didn't watch any trailers. I only saw the poster, I think. 
Yeah, I think I watched it when it first dropped, but then I once we decided we were going to do this podcast, I didn't want to like know all the jokes or anything. So, okay, can we just say how nice it is in this year, twenty twenty, to be talking out about a movie that was just released? Yes, that's what I was thinking. A new movie. We never get to talk about new movies on this podcast. Not never, but it's it's pretty rare. Rarely, and this is one of the only new movies this year. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) A top release. Um, or I, I was genuinely talking, and maybe this can be a discussion for later, but with the dearth of movies coming out, what do you think this movie's chances are at the Oscars this year? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, oh, maybe best song. Yeah. Best song. <laughs> I also genuinely think it has a shot at best makeup. Oh, yeah. my there God. There was some very good makeup in this. Yes. Show. Yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah. I, I think that's actually a very wise point i think that we could see it the makeup was like so impressive when it didn't like necessarily need to be for the type of movie that <laughs> yeah, it is for the bit to be yeah so much of this series it feels like uh succeeding on low expectations like it kind of hand waves away a bunch of stuff but like the production design and makeup is always like outstanding amazing yeah yeah, well, let's get right into it. It's been it's been what twenty five years, and we're back with years. with Bill and Ted, um, and we we get to dive right into where they are now. <laughs> I love that it immediately was like sequely fan service yes. things that people <laughs> like us will appreciate. Like right off the bat, you got. Missy and Deacon, Deacon. get married. <laughs> that this is probably this might be like they they I think like they peaked with the jokes like like in this movie. I'm like this is probably one of the funniest bits of the entire film. We're right yes, here in the is. beginning. <laughs> uh, it is just the fact that she's marrying Deacon. Like okay, I didn't. <laughs> I was not expecting that to come back no, again. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so. I didn't then, know she was going to be in the movie. Yeah, like I had no idea. Oh, uh, and then the and same same lady. Um, uh huh. Amy Stotch. She's now sixty one years old. Um, Beck Bennett is thirty five. <laughs> uh, which I thought he was older, but no, he's thirty five. And um, Bill and Ted are fifty five. Or Keanu <laughs> and Alex Winter are fifty five ish. Uh, and the dad, Hal Landon Jr., is seventy nine. So really, she was like they tried to make it like she was closer to Deacon and and Ted's age, but she was actually closer, not that age inappropriate to the dad. Right. Yeah. Um, the the slow walkthrough of exp- explaining how everyone is their own father <laughs> now and everything is just so funny, <laughs> which makes dad his own son. <laughs> Like in front of everyone at this wedding, and this yeah. is like this slow, awkward, cringy moment that was just the so look great. of distaste on Hal Landon Jr.'s face when he says that is just like so amazing. Yeah, uh, what oh, some do? great grumpy acting from Hal Landon. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Just... I, I love that he was back as well. They did a great job uh, bringing back the people that they could. Um. The whole yeah, I mean this this wedding sequence is is really funny. We get our first uh, uh, peek into what the Wild Stallions are up to musically. Um, <laughs> we'll get to a little bit more detail on that uh, later on with the interview. But uh, I find the image of Keanu Reeves playing a trumpet very funny. 
Yeah, and the theremin. <laughs> come on, come on. Top top five funny instruments to have Keanu play for sure. <laughs> <That's her Emily. laughs> I I let's let's go through all five right now. <laughs> <laughs> Backpipes, so, they got there. Theremin, yeah. they got. Trumpet. Honestly, backpipes is bottom five for me. Yeah. I don't oh. like that. I don't like that they're. Uh, he's he's playing so lightly with Scottish cultural heritage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I. 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 I guess I don't know if we want to say how much we liked this movie or not. This this far in advance, sure. but yeah, like, you can go, you can for, go it. for it. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was extremely worried about this movie going in. Like you played the trailer. Uh, the trailer was very light on jokes. And I also remember it, it dropped like weirdly close to when the movie was originally supposed to come out. So I was really bracing for like, Oh, this feels like something that they're kind of dumping. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and also I'm, I'm generally so skeptical of, uh, like long after sequels to movies. Get out of here. Well, like at, of, of the ones that you've covered on this show, what do you think is like, what have you seen are the biggest mistakes that people can make going into sequels like this that are set so long after the original? The long after. We haven't done a ton of them because there hasn't been a lot of things that have new reboots. One, um, one thing um, that this movie didn't do that we often see is getting rid of everybody. Yeah. So behind the camera, below the line, above the line, in front of the camera, all those people. And so you know it's good that those people are all here for this mm -hmm. plus uh steven soderbergh this time yeah allegedly <laughs> 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 yeah i mean this movie has a lot of producers um yes. yeah Which and i crazy. think you see some of that on the screen a little bit oh really how so um, I think that there's a, I think that this movie uh, has a lot of really awesome ideas that because it was a Bill and Ted movie, I thought could go in a bunch of crazy different directions. And like, so like the setups are there. And then I think that they weave together in a way that is ultimately satisfying and fun. And I really enjoyed, but I, I felt like that there was some kernels of some really wacky ideas that I wanted to like, see go off the rails a little bit more. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk about, the length of this movie right because mm. we all paid for it on premium rental or buy whatever we did i bought it because it was only five bucks more yeah, yeah. but um <laughs> so but it's quite short right how many minutes is it Something 92 like minutes i think yeah so that's quite short for our standards of today but uh you know it, i thought it was good like i didn't feel cheated or anything but there was definitely like I would have loved to see like more of the princesses and the daughters and um, you know, maybe some other things. Like I probably could have watched two more hours of this movie, even if that would have made it wholefully dumb. So yeah, I, too, I, to too I totally agree with what you're saying there, but like, I don't think I've ever like walked out of a movie, not think like, I was like, that movie was too short. I didn't get my money's worth. No, <laughs> but that's how people talk on the internet. You know, I don't get uh, it, but... stay off the internet. Don't, don't yeah. give in to them. No, yeah. I'm not. They don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I wasn't mad, but I was so happy to see a new movie. I swear I probably could have watched two extra hours. <laughs> yeah. <of footage>. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that's tr- uh, yeah, it was just so great to to watch something new and and this one definitely had the feeling of like, oh man, like there's a big fandom behind this and you know that tons of people are watching it the same weekend. Um and yeah, I I just I just enjoyed that and I felt that while I was watching the movie too. And that might have led to some of the feelings I had later on, but yeah. Yeah, um, the like tears get, later on. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, because right? yeah. that's what I heard. Yeah. 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 yeah, not to be like too sappy about it, but it was. I'm super happy to watch it and watch a new movie. But I was like, I was thinking back to like when we all went to go see Mamma Mia. Here we go again, and I was like, I wish I was seeing this with the guys. It was so funny, you know. Like we would be like, you guys would be looking at each other every time oh, they yeah. said, "Face the music." Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh man, we would it's have flipped true. out about the Missy thing too in theaters. We would have been like, yeah, yes. <laughs> we would have been elbowing each other. It would have been great. So I'll say, I, I guess, did you all like watch this just at home? I assume. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I was fortunate enough. A friend of our, a friend of mine, has uh, a projection screen. Out oh, nice! In their backyard, and so there were like six or seven of us, all like oh, that's really wearing fun. masks and spaced out, oh, cool. and. This movie plays really well with a crowd. Yeah. It's so it, cool. Yeah. I, I was very uh fortunate to have that experience because it it just it plays gangbusters. This is this the funniest of the Bill and Ted movies, just in terms of jokes. Jokes. Like, yeah, like, I think that like there's the, it has the most outright like Keanu Reeves is speaking in a British accent. <laughs> yes. Like, like <laughs> Well, in yeah. a fat suit. I know. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how like uh yeah, I, I found that in the second movie, the different versions of Bill and Ted that we see in, in the robots, I found a little bit grating. But here I think like yeah, it worked better for me in this third movie and the, like you said, those things are so funny. All the yeah. different iterations we see of Bill and Ted because we know it's them too. I think that's part of it that like these yeah. are actually Bill and Ted in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, a lot of people saw it at drive-ins, right? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I kind of want to go. That would be uh, so. I, I would love go, to see this one. somewhere outside at like a one of those outdoor movie things, or even like at the Hollywood Bowl or something, where everyone yeah. could like sing along at the end. That oh, would be yeah. so fun. That would uh, be great. Someday. Being around humans. <laughs> it's not allowed. <laughs> also, well, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, you know, I wanted to just briefly mention about when this movie, you know, this movie came out, uh, you know, in the late August of 2020. Uh, and if you're listening to this at a later time, hope you're well. Uh, <laughs> this is it's not a it's a, it's not a uh, it's not a really it's, it was a really hard week uh, for just everything that's fucking going on. Yeah. And to have this movie uh, to watch it, it, it just felt like such a gift to have something so kind and nice and funny. Uh, that's this uncynical thing, which we've talked about, you know, through the rest of all of these other movies, like it just has its own brand of sweetness that uh, was, was felt extra nice. Did anybody, watching it this did anybody not cry? 
I I got emotional. I cried. Yeah, I got I got, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know if I full on no, cried, I but can't. I definitely got choked up. Yeah, I, I definitely shed a tear. Tear, yes, maybe maybe three or four. I don't know. But. Well, I was in a in a backyard with a bunch of my friends, so True. I had to look very. Tough. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> and all I, you, I was like, yeah, this movie's alright. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bravo. Yeah, golf. Club. You've got yeah. the mask on, so all they can you, see you, are your you, eyes. That's right. Yeah. You flipped up the collar of your leather jacket. And then struck a match off of your boot. And yeah. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> no, this movie really did feel perfectly pitched for this moment. Not not only in just that it is very sincere and kind and nice, but that it's a movie about the joy of like music bringing people together in big yeah. groups, and mm-hmm. like that the the act of making music together is more important than even the music itself. Like. Right. That's that was a very like w- when I could feel the movie going in that direction. I I got very I was like, oh man, I think they're gonna pull this off. Like I, I think I think they're making a really good Bill and Ted movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about the music. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's let's rewind. Um. You heard in the trailer, Holland Taylor's chastising them for not coming up with the song and uh yeah they they gotta do it so what <laughs> rufus's daughter uh-huh. yeah which I, I i did think uh sp- skipping ahead to that but that there's there's a great uh i thought they did a very good job of incorporating george carlin into this movie oh yeah that was very cool i like mm-hmm. that uh, he basically shows up as a hologram uh, and they have an emotion like they think it's him, but it's just like a museum exhibit. And they just kind of use the footage from the previous movie. Like the first and time it, he shows it worked up. really, really well. Yeah, I thought that was very nice. Tasteful. Tasteful. The whole future place totally looked like that place in Spain that they use on Westworld. It was. Like, I know it was the actual place. <laughs> well, I thought I, it was just either, like CG. Either that or, or they shot it where like, they based it off of that. But yeah, it yeah. exactly like that. Yeah. I was just like, there's so much water in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin Costner has gills. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Shoshana Bean noted Elphaba on Broadway was one of the uh, great ones oh, nice. there with Holland Taylor. And Wynn Butler. As was, I think was Wynn a- Butler. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I thought it was cool that uh, Holland Taylor was in this since we had just had... <laughs> A few few episodes talking about her recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they have until, uh, you know, they have to perform the song at 7.17 p.m. at MP46 that day. And they got to just figure it out because <laughs> they've been trying to write, you know, as we've heard, they've been trying to write the song for a million years, not million years, 25 years, and they haven't figured it out. And how are they going to figure it out in like, an hour i love oh the other thing I, I loved that like the time of how much time they had left kind of was like following along with the movie like the movie's been going for a bit and the first time they hear about how much time they have left they're like it's 77 minutes yeah and i think that was about <laughs> yeah. the same I'm amount like, of time in the movie. <laughs> yeah i thought that was great i loved that yeah <laughs> I definitely just assumed that MP46 was some music venue that Justin would know about that I've never heard of. I know. I was trying to rack my brain like MP46. What would that be? I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't figure it out. I was also, I I was really glad that this movie wasn't afraid to really make them losers at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it fully developed the stakes uh, for the rest of the movie, but it, it was just like, Oh no, these, 
these characters haven't changed at all. And that's really sad. And like, that's a thing. Whereas like, I feel like a lot of other remakes, like remakes or reboots or like long after sequels do too much lionizing of the original characters Mm. in a way that I feel like hurts the, the movies themselves. I kept thinking that uh, the movie had heard my comments on the previous episodes of this podcast. Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> like the issue that their wives are having. I was like, oh, my God, yeah. because Justin and Tyler were like, oh, their proposal was so sweet, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't like it. The we thing is no good. I don't think any woman would be into this. And lo and behold, that's a, the major conflict of this film. Well, I even that I loved how that came about, though, because like they're in couples therapy and it's a funny scene. And then it it turns on a dime to being incredibly emotional yes. where, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ted's wife uh, basically said, yeah, I feel like if they can't change, I don't want to do this anymore. And even she's surprised by the revelation. Uh, and it's this kind of, they have this really sweet, um, tender moment where they're both just afraid and in love. And it, it was, I thought it was some very, very good acting on both of their parts uh, mm-hmm. and really raised the stakes. And they're like, oh no, like we fucked up. This is a, a great movie just about self-sabotage, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately is a topic that I don't know anything about, but <laughs> from the readings I've done, it, it, it feels very accurate. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's too. Yeah. <laughs> also, while we're on the topic, uh, I'm going to dig into uh, some reading that I've done. Uh, this is from Sheila Johnson's 1996 uh, biography entitled Keanu. Um, uh, this was uh, shortly after Bogus Journey. Uh, this is a quote from Alex Winter. We even kicked around the idea of doing a third one. Something you could do with those characters being old, just milking their pathetic aspect and looking at what they would do in a world that just beats the hell out of them. Aww. So this this setup for a movie has basically been around since even before Bogus Journey, which I thought was also instrumental to its success, that it 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 comes from the era of the first two, in a way. Yeah. Please tell me that you got that book from the library or purchased it just for this. I literally did, yes. Yes! <laughs> yes. Shout, shout, shout out to Iliad Books in North Hollywood. Wow! That's amazing! Oh yeah, for for, for our listeners at home, uh, he's holding what's called a book. Uh, it has... <laughs> it's a physical book. There's not a screen at all. It's just, it's bound and it's, it's, it's pieces of paper. I'm holding a book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the fog. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Usually I'm the only one that reads books for our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I can't oh, read. I didn't so. read it. I just. <laughs> Index, Bill I just, and Ted. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, I wasn't reading anything. I'm just, I'm just, Citing this to make my own things sound smart. <laughs> okay, right. uh, so yeah, we do see that how pathetic they are and the world's been kicking their ass, but they do have uh, two daughters who could not have been better cast for this movie. Oh my God. Um, they, they look the part and they play the part and uh, we get to see how their dorkiness uh, at the wedding, the aforementioned wedding, as they're the only ones dancing along to uh justin what's the song title uh that they were dancing to oh oh yes the song title let me pull it up here here we go you guys ready for this 
It's called That Which Binds Us Through Time. The Chemical, Physical, and Biological Nature of Love, an Exploration of the Meaning of Meaning, Part 1. <laughs> I thought it was weird that they Movements just one, ripped two, off three. a Coheed and Cambria album. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Feels like they could have just written their own. That's so true. <laughs> I love um, how like nerdy Billy and Thea are. <laughs> they're like, yeah, <laughs> they're like, uh, yeah. I never felt like that Bill and Ted were like nerdy or anything, but they are just like super music nerds and just like, you know, totally in their heads about stuff. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was great. And they <laughs> idolize their dads. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't think in a bad way, although the grandfather does mention that they're 24, they don't have jobs, and they live at home or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but they're really nice people. As yeah. Everyone mentions throughout the and film. I also like that they didn't try and formulate like a uh, like a like a father daughter, basically the relationship that Bill and Ted had with their dads in the first movie, because mm, it, thank it, God they weren't like sticks in the mud. They yeah. they were like there to have fun and be part of the adventure from the get go, and there wasn't any like contrivance of like oh like our daughters hate us and like right yeah and like and, but in the third act they'll go back to their old ways and rock and roll again <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. which is usually how these go you're yeah. right that is that is the typical beats it's everything or their daughters the- would be embarrassed of them right yeah mm-hmm. which which I feel like is a way that. It, they very could they very easily could have gone with this yeah yeah i feel like the you know at all those possibilities they they went with like the non-cynical like positive choice instead of yeah something that might have been easier but this is which is the thing that makes bill and ted bill and ted exactly exactly <laughs> so like this was in the preview as well uh bill and ted are going throughout time trying to get the song from versions of themselves that's now? right. <clears throat> so I don't. Do we want to go through some of these versions? Yeah, let's do it. Who, which one did you guys like the most of the of the uh, Bill and Ted versions? I thought the the funniest bit. The, so the funniest bit in the movie to me, in the most Bill and Ted movie, is in the the British voices timeline. We can talk about that more. Yes, because <laughs> uh, they, they they basically they, they future them the first time that they come back, they're embarrassed that their past selves see them what they are. So the second time, they have broken into Dave Grohl's house, <laughs> pretend put on fancy accents, and pretended like that they're the most incredible people in the world. Uh, but it's a complete lie. And then there's this chasing between the two of them where uh, they can't get away from themselves because they remember everything that they do- that they. Do did previously so great and so they're like we got to do something so that we can't remember dude and you know any other movie would have had them like we're gonna smoke a bunch of weed or like we're gonna shrug the champagne those on the table and then it just cuts to them with buckets on their heads stumbling around (laughs) and then falling off a balcony and i laughed so goddamn hard it's so great (laughs) because it's such their idea it's just exactly who they are it's just oh yeah buckets like yeah they'll never figure that out yeah, and I and I love that this is like I I love that they didn't come back again to the, the like we're gonna tell ourselves to do stuff in the future like the, it's that yeah. same kind mm-hmm. of idea but twisted into something different that yes. we haven't seen. Yeah, they they don't fall to they don't fall back too much on just retreading stuff from the first movie. Like 
any references are just either like fleeting or like the return of certain characters, but it never feels fan servicey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I love because I abhor just cheap fan service. Well, cause that was, like that was one of my issues with the second movie that it just was like too many callbacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this movie does a better I, job. I think this one had the right amount, I think. Yeah. And you got, you got kid gutty saying station in a way that he really believes station. It didn't feel like fan service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's apparently like a time Lord or something. Yeah. You know, so yeah. He probably exactly. knows all about station. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Look, Eliz, I, I will take my uh, upset with your station erasure up with you <laughs> off the air. But I, I hope this was at least passable for you. <laughs> In your absolute hatred of station. Station. God, this, yeah. I, you were harsh to or station sh- on yeah. that last I, episode. No, I honestly, I, was... I forgot that that even came out already. Yeah, we, okay, got it. Yes, now I know what you're talking about. I'm like, how did he know? Okay. <laughs> he read it in a book, Liz. I was I pretty see it on your station. face. Yeah. <laughs> Station. 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 That was the one clip I pulled. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Kid Cuddy going, Station. <laughs> so here's a, a theory that I want to run by you guys. Okay. We, like you've mentioned, uh, Kid Cuddy is clearly some sort of advanced, uh, he's advanced beyond explanation in the film. <laughs> is Kid Cuddy a past version of station mm. after this movie, does he leave and evolve on Mars <laughs> into station? Dr. Or go on style. some sort of time traveling <laughs> because otherwise him saying station is never, there's no reason for it. Yeah. Station was <laughs> it part no of sense. the band and the band broke up when the thing happened with death, but we never hear about what happened to station. So people would know station yeah that's true but familiar with wild stallions okay but i i I want to advance this theory i want to put it (laughs) into the ether and weirdly this is something i've been saying about kid cuddy for years (laughs) for this movie so i would like he's a time lord i was like kevin costner and jfk when he said that i'm like oh my god it's all coming together he's going back to the left Oh man! Uh, Do we wonderful. also get what prison Bill and Ted? Prison Bill and Ted. Prison Bill and Ted was my favorite. Okay, yeah. I they are so obscenely jacked, and <laughs> that is just so very funny. <laughs> Do you like our song? And they're like, <laughs> it was, was it a song? It was a song. <laughs> it's so funny. I like that. Even though they have all the, like the obvious tattoos that you'd think, there was still like San Dimas tattoos. Yeah. That they had. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they gotta have hometown pride. Yeah, <laughs> I just love that, and the, ev- and the makeup is so good. Yeah, oh man, the makeup is amazing, and I love that every time they show up, like the future Bill and Ted are like, <laughs> you know, like God damn it, it's these guys again. <laughs> like the first time they see him at the Taco Bell, they're like, oh shit, and they try to go hide from them. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh god, uh, I, it's it's great, and then yeah, we we see old old man Bill and Ted. Which was like very sweet, and this is another one where the makeup was like, "Wow, yeah." Uh, you it know, goes on a long time. Yeah, because we saw a previous uh, old lady makeup on uh, Alex Winter, and this is way better than that. Yep. 
uh, less sexy though. That's true, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, old lady Alex Winter was a, a big childhood crush of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, climb over that cake, Grandma. Yeah. So, so the the time council has just they do no longer believe in Bill and Ted. They've dispatched an assassin because there is an alternate reading of the prophecy that killing them could also potentially save the world. <laughs> yeah. How, uh, how is that? Uh, how is that alternate reading coming about? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we don't get to hear the exact wording of the prophecy or something, but yeah, no, we do. Preston Logan. Oh, that's true. Uh, but yeah. how, yeah. How are you reading into it that they could need to be killed? No, I think it wasn't so much a reading of the prophecy as much as they just thought if we kill these guys, somehow it all gets erased. Right. I, I've had reset. that. I've had that like late night, like before an exam or like a big project was due. I'm like, I can't figure this out. What if I just try and kill somebody? (laughs) (laughs) Just that last minute rush of panic. (laughs) I I haven't tried murder yet. (laughs) So yeah, Holland Taylor and the other great ones are all in on this. Whereas Kelly, her name's Kelly, right? Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. She's still trying to, uh, save them and so she gives uh the girls uh to the time machine to uh to start on their end trying to help bring musicians that can help the dads with the ultimate song mm-hmm. so who do we get here we got Jimi G- hendrix Jimi hendrix uh in his uh rare right-handed playing uh <laughs> In, yeah. in the rare part of his career where he plays right-handed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like two weeks where he was trying to <laughs> switch it up. <laughs> um, Louis Armstrong, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mozart. Mozart. I love the Mozart uh, moment. That was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Mozart was okay. I, I kind of thought maybe he was too close to Beethoven from the first movie, but yeah. Yeah whatever i liked that uh when they travel back and they're like Jimi hendrix is playing his guitar along yeah, outside for sure i and i i love that it looked like mozart was like at first like like what the heck is that and mad but then you could tell like he was like getting into it and like, yeah. <laughs> like oh man i'm grooving along with this while well, he's playing <laughs> while he was doing it he was like that motherfucker salieri coming at me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> god damn it <laughs> discovered a new sound <laughs> oh my god but it's really you know, I mean, I think we talked about the in the first movie how it's really cute how all these historical figures are going around and like becoming buddy buddy with each other and communicating with each other even more than they communicate with Bill and Ted in a weird way. And in this time, it's all the music that allows them to just yeah. instantly be like, oh, I'm going to trust you and go with you in this time machine, you know, because that's a real nice interpretation of my, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, And so... um. Yeah, because after Mozart, they go and get this like ancient Chinese flute player um, yep. who was really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed seeing a flute player, of course. Um, and then they get a African tribeswoman who is the greatest drummer of all time. Of all time. From, what, the 1400s or something? Is that what it said? It was like, I think, 14, oh, I think it was BC. It was BC. It was oh, okay. BC. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we do see Jesus in here. Uh, speaking oh, yeah. Of, Jesus speaking of Cowbell. BC. <laughs> oh, yeah. So throughout, <laughs> random people are being deposited throughout all of time because the fabric of time and space is falling apart. Yeah. Well, so in, wibbly wobbly. 
And Justin, I, I just want to correct you. Jesus is in every movie. <laughs> That's right. He's all around. He's, uh, except he's John Waters movies. He's within us. Yeah, yeah. Not in any of us, it's so true. You're right, man. You're right. <laughs> and also, weirdly, Last Temptation of Christ. He missed it. Um, <laughs> anyway, I have another book that I wanted to tell you guys about. Oh. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah. I have good. Have, has anybody here heard the, heard the, the good news? The good book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I love, yeah, the, 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 um, the, historical figure is popping in and out and like landmarks and everything hits a high note for me when like Kelly is on the phone with her mom and she's like, Oh my God, the, the, you know, the pyramids of the Sahara desert or whatever are just like, just appeared right here. And queen Elizabeth is looking right at it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, yeah, mom. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I almost got the feeling from her, from Chris, Shaw's performance that they animated that scene based off what she ad libbed. <laughs> yeah, oh, could be. That could be. Oh man, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, and Kid Cuddy, they don't actually go get him. He just kind of appears, which more leads to the fact That's that right. maybe he's like a magical wizard of some sort or station. Uh, cause, yes, because he knew to appear at their house uh, randomly. That's right. Um, and then this robot comes and they all get killed. And I think the, one of my favorite lines was they were like, we have all these historical figures. Well, I guess, Mr. Cuddy, you're not technically an historical figure. And he's like, I am now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, um, from the robot whose name is escaping me, Dwayne, I believe. It's uh, Dennis. 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 They said it so yes. many times. I don't know how you could possibly Dennis forget. Caleb McCoy. I'm bad with I I'm bad with robot faces. Um, um, just very great uh, takes each time after he accidentally kills somebody. Of just like the reaction that I have if I like accidentally throw away the wrong like piece of paper. Like, I'm like, oh no, I need to like throw or like if I accidentally throw my keys in the trash instead yeah. of my cup, I just like ooh, ah, yeah. blood. And it's it's Noho Hank himself uh, from Barry, yes. Anthony Kerrigan, who is amazing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. The whole time I was like, "Who is this guy?" I, like I I recognize like the mannerisms a little bit, and then uh, seen in the credits, I was like, "Ah, yes, Noho." It's because it's and they also he's unrecognizable because they've turned him into this giant Dragon Ball Z anime robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's so funny. He kills so many people. Three people. <laughs> yeah, so Mitch, at the risk of um stoking your ire once again, um, with my how oh, I didn't like station. I didn't care for Dennis either. I'm sorry, everybody. I know it's a hot take, but I did not like Dennis. Um you know, I think a lot of it was the design, because when you see him i thought this was gonna somehow be death because he why the white like face paint on a on a white guy i was just kind of like what is this is gonna turn out that he's death like i don't know what's happening and then once you know it became obvious that that wasn't the case and that he was dennis and the whole bit and everything i was just like i am not into it and then every time he came back i was like go away and yeah (laughs) i didn't like dennis Sorry. He, he annoyed the crap out of me. And then like, as he kept coming back, I found it funnier and funnier. And yeah. until the end, I thought it was fucking hilarious. I, I, yeah. I, I, I too thought he was like a little bit annoying, but I, I liked the, I ended up liking the performance and then the jokes around him about 
you know, things like, uh, how the hell is a robot even like in hell right now? Like what, how does a robot die? Or, or like stuff when, when he's like getting beat up by the, the inmates at the prison and he's like, help me. And they're like, come on, man, you're a robot, dude. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I liked the jokes about him being a robot. Yes. I, I liked the the anxious self-conscious robot. I, I, I think that's just I I think I just uh really related to him and that's why I I'm like, yeah, this is how I would feel if I was brought into the world and my only purpose was <laughs> to travel through time and murder uh eighty slackers. Like yeah. that's how, like it it really brings a ironically humanity to the role. And and I wasn't and wasn't it that uh, uh, Kelly's mom had turned her ex boyfriend into a robot or something? Yeah, her ex husband did after him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I thought it was like she turned she turned the boyfriend into a robot. No, well, yeah, I, it, I, yeah. I think like, no, there was definitely like he was a human. Like it was definitely a RoboCop narrative where like he was like becoming was, more aware of who he was after he died. Yeah. Like it was like a un- unaware cyborg situation. Yeah, I'd buy that. I don't know. I, I, you know, despite what I said about Station, I like Station more than Dennis. <laughs> I mean, Station is very cute, so yes. I get it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, one thing uh, that I really liked about this movie, too, uh, is that it kind of does a great job, in my opinion, of, like, combining the ideas of the first two films. We get a whole section of traveling through time, dealing with historical victory, uh, historical figures. And then we also get moments of like returning to hell and re-encountering death and bringing him back into the band. And I thought that like it had a good mixture of those things uh, while also in, by the end, like adding some new ideas. But I liked that it was like they combined those first two movies into this third one. Yeah. So we go to hell. Like I said, we do. And there's a very, very long reconciliation slash fight slash explanation of what happened to death. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was glad to see death again and everything, but I did think maybe this went on a little long. Um, You said you you could watch two more hours of this. I did. You said that two sequences were very long. Yeah, wait a minute. (laughs) I did say that I would watch more, but considering it's as long as it is, I would have liked more of other things and not as much of this, but that's okay. Uh, William Sadler uh, was one of the many, many, many producers on the film. So Mm -hmm. makes sense. It was fun to see him back. Yeah. I feel like they, what, one of the things I didn't love about that is again, they tried to call back to the games of him playing like tetherball and hopscotch. And it's like, find another thing for death to be doing. (laughs) I I don't buy that. He would be spending all this time still just practicing games. Yeah. He's like reliving that loss that he had. (laughs) I I do think that they had, they did hit the sweet spot of just like these guys would not be mad enough at anybody to like kick them out of a band. Like what, like what could they possibly do? And the fact that he tried to take the name wild stallions is just like, (laughs) and then like the delivery of that, it's like, no, I buy it. Like (laughs) that's the line. They we are wild stallions. We didn't want to see trying to take the name wild stallions. <laughs> oh, so funny. And and the and the the scene when uh Billy and Thea go in and like like butter him up by talking about like the <laughs> the you know re- the the third 
and fourth B-sides on his like, you know, album that no one liked. That was so great. (laughs) That conversation is this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) It's like super nerdy. Like, oh man, that hook was like. Yeah. It's just like that. That one thing that everyone else hated. There was that one really cool thing that we all liked about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, I I love that scene. That was a fun moment for them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so they make their way uh, back to the current time um out of hell yes yeah. and what they just appear on the freeway is that how it yeah. happens they just yep. appear on the freeway and everyone's freaking out because the like the sky is opening and everything's going crazy yes and it turns out that uh mp46 is a mail marker where the 210 meets the 57 in san dimas <laughs> raging waters like i told you in the first episode that is exactly where this scene takes place and i was like oh my god it's literally where the freeway cr- <laughs> i have driven that oh, interchange yeah. many 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 times uh, oh yeah, you're you on your way to Vegas for sure, and uh, so it was there. And you get um, some nice Circle K signage yes. right off the side of the road, which I did well. appreciate. Yes. No, yeah. When you drive that stretch of the freeway, first you think Raging Waters, then you think Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we get a giant, we get a giant Pepsi truck and a giant Guitar Center truck. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate uh, hero of the movie is Guitar Center. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> In the end. There when you need them. That's right. Uh th- this uh this whole sequence was a better musical than La La Land. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Jesus. I had to do it. Terrible, terrible. Uh <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Justin, uh, can you mark the time for the Boom Goes the Dynamite submission? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been really lax on this button. I know. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't choke on it. There's a lot of smoke in here. <laughs> that was real. Oh, God. You just uh, found a new way to vape. <laughs> So the princesses are here still. They're still married to them, Joanna and Elizabeth. Um, It's new actresses now. Uh Um, And, uh, you know, I looked it up and these actresses are 40 and 41, which, you know, if you're 55 and your wife's 40, eh, okay, if you met when you were older, but... These people met when Bill and Ted were 18, meaning that these girls would have been, what, like three years old? <laughs> and I know they traveled through time and everything, but like, mm, I don't know. Well, they clearly weren't three in the movie that we yeah. saw. <laughs> so in well, excellent look, adventure. They, they were in medieval England and three years at uh, in medieval England really, really put some road miles. On. Yeah. That's, at that that's point true. you were already you're 50 expected to get married. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, um, I did think it was nice and interesting. Uh, I don't, you know, the credits. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed at the very end in the thank yous, they did thank all four original princess actresses uh, from both films. They thanked the two station guys uh, and they thanked the good robot uses the two dancers that I talked about last week. So, uh, you know, I guess they were kind of like, sorry, we couldn't bring you back. Uh, yeah. You know, didn't have a good way to do it. Which is nice. 
Yeah. But yeah, I would have liked to see some more age-appropriate princesses for the guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those actresses I, are both great, though. I, I love them. They're fair. I tall. also feel like they were given very little to do, which yeah. I, I think yeah. you've already mentioned, but like it's they're they're just kind of reduced to like uh well they fully set up like a side plot for them that they're gonna like time and see all the other like better lives they could have and it feels like they just cut out an entire subplot with them yeah yeah they they go on their own separate movie basically that we just Mm -hmm. don't see yeah yeah i mean those that kind of gets into the 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 things that i was talking about earlier of like intriguing ideas that don't feel like they get paid off that's certainly one of them we do see like their older selves in the the photo the the phone booth from time to time and at like at some point it seems like there's going to be some deception there in terms of who that is or what they're being shown and that kind of is not you know at some point i was like oh is it the older bill and ted like going through and messing up their lives because they can't have them no one can or is it the, the the daughters playing them up and actually showing them no like your dads are awesome like our dads are awesome you know and and doing that i was like no but it was just their their older selves and we just didn't see what they did because it wasn't all that important it's like okay but i would have i would have liked to see a little bit more of that and i also thought you know the very very early on when they when they first read the prophecy out it's like oh yeah preston logan it's like okay well it's the daughters yeah like that's that's telegraphed immediately and so i thought that there would be uh uh something a little I didn't have to be like super clever or anything like that but some sort of twist on that and it felt like that there was elements to that type of story like even when we saw the dad fall down into hell and we saw William Sadler uh, as death like I thought like oh man it's gonna be like the dad in hell B plot that like that like, that's gonna be really <laughs> exciting and it's just like nope like we just they, we just showed him early on so you didn't like he don't worry he's coming <laughs> yeah. like okay <laughs> Uh, so that that's the I would it would be wrong to say I was disappointed by the movie because I was not. Uh, but I, I did see the foundations of a more interesting movie uh, within this movie. Well, it's a little bit confusing, too, because you start getting into timelines and I'm not a scientist by any means, like not even close to Kid Cudi's greatness or anything. But like it seems like Bill and Ted time travel is just one timeline so far and then what the princesses do is described almost like as more of a christmas carol situation Mm -hmm. where they're saying alternate Mm -hmm. timelines but we don't actually see them do that what they do is continue to go in the same timeline at different intervals which Mm -hmm. is the same as what bill and ted are doing and they're close behind but it's all one timeline but what changes the timeline is the big incident you know, that we're, that we see here so that they don't go into that timeline. And then kid Cuddy talks about how every time, you know, so I, I just don't know. Like, do you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I don't well, need, I don't need coherent time travel yeah. from my bill. And it's like, whatever. Movie. No, I know. Yeah. But to go into the princesses thing more, I'm saying like for them to see how our lives could have been without bill and Ted, mm. it opens up like another. Yeah. Except that axis. we see them, except that we see them in the same places that bill and ted are traveling multiple times so it's yeah like, you yeah. see them so both at the prison and, yeah, but when so, they're yeah. when they're old keanu does say that there are multiple timelines yeah he just says that flat out well and like, that was like the, yeah. the wisdom that's imparted upon them because they didn't realize that there was multiple timelines until yeah that point. and we see that at the end in spectacular yeah. fashion yeah 
Villain Ted's time travel rules operate uh, by the uh, whatever is best for the script at that moment. <laughs> <Imagine Yeah. Euron. laughs> Which is totally fine. Sans is the Avengers. It's totally fine. <laughs> whatever. Time travel is not real, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Says yep. you. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Yeah. Look let's just, let's chair, just go, Justin. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hid Station Cuddy. Let's go find it's a, him. It's a post-it that says time travel is real. Told you. <laughs> <laughs> Signed Elis. Yeah. P.S. Wild Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. There's more on this post-it note. It says real steel. Time travel uh, is real steel. <laughs> real steel. No, no, no. Um, um, yeah. Okay. So, like, what else? The big musical number happens. Yes. And the song um you will hear about extensively in this interview but what do we want to say about it i mean it's kind of like a beautiful moment uh you you you, you've seen the uh you know the daughters billy and thea uh gathering these historic musicians and the whole time you're like what are they gonna do like clearly they're part of the band and it turns out that like you know they're the only ones that can kind of bring these people together because when they all try to play at the same time it's garbage but they're going to bring people in one at a time using their own you know music knowledge and everything they they know to bring them in one at a time and kind of build the song up and that and i really enjoyed that like build of the song where we get each person coming in and then eventually bill and ted coming in to do their guitar solo and it's really a great like rousing moment um and just it felt like, like a song exploder episode. Yeah. Like just yeah. going instrument by instrument like exactly. piece by piece building it up I, I really like the scene before, you know, all this happens where, you know, they have the realization that, oh, no, it's the it's our daughters mm-hmm. that are going to do this. And they the, the daughters are like, no, like they're terrified. Like, we can't do this. All we do is just mess around, do our, you know, like fuck around, listen to stuff, pick through stuff we like. And then it's, you know, their father is basically just saying that's all anything is yep. like that's like you you are more than qualified like you already have everything that you need. Like, just go make stuff. And it's like that's such a powerful message and such a simple message that I don't think actually makes it into a lot of movies. Hmm. Yeah. The the movie felt very much like an attack on perfectionism, like mm-hmm. the, the sort of uh, like uh, petrifying aspect yeah, yes. of perfectionism where yeah. like you never end up making anything because you're so worried about it being the right thing. Well, and much like your self-sabotage, I know nothing about that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> and like, and also how like a lot of times you can defeat perfectionism by collaborating with people, like finding other talented people and just sort of sharing your talent rather than like Bill and Ted thinking that it had to be it's it's just them. They're the only ones who can save the world. Uh, but especially like working in the film industry, you find that like, oh no, like good stuff comes from a lot of people working together and it's never just the one or like very few creative people at the top. Oh yeah. Definitely. There was a really wonderful moment of, of that same thing. I don't know if you Justin and I were lucky enough to go to Nick Cave did this amazing thing at the Walt Disney Concert Hall 
uh, where he just kind of took questions from the crowd and played a couple songs or whatever it was. And, you know, he, he gave this beautiful monologue about that was basically saying this exact this exact thing is that like he can't do it with everybody else. You know, he, he can jot some some tunes down on a piano or, or play a few chords, but like he has to bring everybody else together. It's all about his collaborations. It's, it's everything there. And like, that's what you need to make things. And if that's what you need to to bring out whatever your vision is, then go ahead and do that. And it was like giving the permission just like this movie does as well. Yeah. yeah. It, the, I feel like very few movies about creative, about creativity get like the creative spirit really right mm-hmm. of, of just like it, the, what I like about this movie is that it puts a lot more emphasis on the act of creating things than the actual thing itself. Mm-hmm. Where like a lot of other movies, it's like, oh no, it's this great artwork, this like great finished product. Whereas this movie, it's like, no, like what makes music special is that you're making it. Like mm-hmm. that you're creating something and that you're like, it's this pure expression of like joy or sadness that yes yeah and, and yeah. ultimately ultimately that everyone in the entire world was doing it together with them together. yeah i'll take that over like the crowd shot like you know like you said other movies of the finished product it's it's like just crowds of like, just like extras rocking out which is always terrible or like people with their mouth agape or whatever it is and and just i will take you know a bunch of people in old timey clothes playing the Glockenspiel over that any day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and by by its very nature, it feels so much more joyous than any yeah. shots of like people just enjoying this are because like they are having this same like outburst of exuberance. Like it it kind of reminds me of like uh, the end of Stop Making Sense, where like mm-hmm. you haven't seen the audience for the whole time and like people aren't just like in awe they're just like dancing and like sound guys are high-fiving each other and like it it's it focuses more on their participation in this than just their appreciation and admiration of it which i think all art all good art does and it also kind of self-defeats the chosen one narrative Mm-hmm. like you know it's like oh you guys are gonna be amazing like it's gonna be you know you you, you only you can do this thing and it's like no <laughs> prophecy was wrong yeah it was wrong it was wrong multiple times yeah well, the, not the only was it not was, us yeah yeah <laughs> the prophecy was right they just right. misread it well yeah our, our understanding of it was flawed mm-hmm. yeah. which is how Almost, that's how chosen ones get made of just like everyone <laughs> believes like only you can do this it's like if it's a prophecy it's gonna happen don't worry about it <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, this whole thing is just so beautiful and like the the you know, the the shock uh and like the awe that Bill and Ted have like when they come out and they see they they come they come back from having traveled through time a million different places in the multiverse and given everyone instruments and they come back and see that what their daughters have done and then their daughters are there like the song needs one more thing. Like you guys got to come play dads. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they, they get to like rock out and there's all these cool effects of like, you know, the universe getting fixed and all these like, you know, and, and it has some 2d hand drawn on 80 style effects on the guitar playing. Which yeah. I very much appreciated. And, it, and, and their solo is most triumphant. Oh yeah. It's and the song good. is just so positive sounding that I was, and everyone's just 
everyone in everywhere is having a great time. And yeah, this is the part where, you know, you start to get like overwhelmed. We, everyone was talking about like their feelings at the end of the movie. I feel like this is where you start to get overwhelmed. And then when we get into the end credits too, like that was a whole nother, yeah, whole nother moment. Cause the movie kind of just ends like, Oh, they fixed yeah, it's it. Very boom, abrupt. Boom. Done. Not in a bad way. But. Yeah, no, I mean, there kind of wasn't much else to say, I guess. Like, yeah. yeah, they did the thing. Uh, and then we go right into the end credits, which was also lovely. I thought, Mm. If Very you guys, cute. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that already, but yeah, it was like a contest or something, right? Yeah, there was a whole campaign about like send in your footage or rocking out to this specific song. I think that I think there was like a a clip that the people had to you know air guitar to or whatever, and you might get included in the the end credits. Um, and yeah, so it's like this montage of of all these real life Bill and Ted fans just having a great time, and it just like. I don't know. I was moved by seeing all the positivity and just like everyone just enjoying life (laughs) and being happy out in the world, you know? And it was just like, "Ah, I miss this. And Guillermo by Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. And I think Weird (laughs) Al was in there. Weird Al. Yeah. Yeah. Weird Al. (laughs) Some surprise cameos. Yeah. Yeah. Just so fun. I don't know. What a positive, what a positive movie for the moment. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we already joked around about, get it bring in a tear to your eye or whatever but yeah by the end of the movie i was just like oh man everyone's like so happy and nice to each other and, and like, together getting yeah. along like wow how cool well, right yeah. and it's like it doesn't matter what the song is it just matters that we're doing it together and yeah it's like, i mean like yeah <laughs> i wish they hadn't just come out and said the yeah like it, like the movie really like just ends with them saying, and the moral of the story is it's nice that we made music together. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, we got it. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, can, I can see that. Yeah. But yeah, I I'm interested. Uh, what do you guys think the best last entry of a series you've ever done is? Oh, interesting. I would love a ranking of just God. that. Because that, like, especially with a lot of these series, there is, you might say, a decay in quality as things go on. I don't know if there's ever one that we've done that felt like that the last one was actually the end of, well, I guess I can think of one, but (laughs) it was certainly (laughs) the worst one. Uh, That that was the end of a continuing story, because a lot of the franchises that we do, by the time they're getting to the last entry, they barely resemble what they started out as there's yeah. nothing yeah and i think one other thing too is that y- you may think it's over but is it a- is any series ever really over <laughs> yeah. like can you really say for sure there's never gonna be another bill and ted no no you cannot so we always <laughs> say like this is the last movie for now yeah, you know? yeah. So. if you mean I'm last gonna- no yeah go ahead I, I'm going to speak for the fans right now and uh, express my displeasure that you haven't done an episode on the animated series. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, you did Poltergeist, the Poltergeist Legacy. series. You did Poltergeist <laughs> Legacy. That's I true. Think, I think canonically you have to do the animated series. <laughs> we could come back to it, I think. Yeah. I think we probably should. Wasn't that on Fox Kids or something? Yeah. (laughs) Back in the day. Oh, then we we got to do the Spy Kids one too. Oh Oh, god. Oh god. Yeah, there's a lot of series if we if we go. Maybe we will someday. You'll also have to do the series of uh, Verizon Mobisodes based on Jingle All the Way. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be on the Patreon. You know. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, I think it's funny. uh, 
you know, I, I just was recalling now, like back to your first question about like what, uh, sequel that we've talked about that has come back after a long absence was really good. And then also if you categorize the word like last as like the most recent sequel, that was good. Um, I do think that bad boys for life kind of covers that. I think, yeah, uh, hmm. I, I, uh, I think that that did a great job of coming back after several, you know, years off and also being like the last movie in the franchise. Oh, they're yeah. already making another good. one. I know. I'm just saying yeah. like, uh, as of well, right now, there isn't another one. So <laughs> it's interesting because that's another series uh, that was very early on in the career of a massive movie star mm-hmm. that they have essentially retained creative control over mm-hmm. that is also uh, made with another actor that they're really good friends with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of maybe that's the secret to reboots. Yeah. It might be. And the and the worst last entry of the same type of genre that was more recent is uh Rambo. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't that same formula work for Dumb and Dumber 2? Okay. <laughs> Oh God! We, I haven't, mean, we look, haven't done that yet. Who's to say that this is going to be the last Rambo? It, <laughs> That's true. You've seen what happens when people count Rambo out and don't I mean, want to be on that side word, of the equation. It does have the word "last" in the title. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, you don't. You never know. You never know. Oh man! Well, you guys want to get to a rating on this? It's going to be. It's sure. Uh, how many theremin solos would you give? Bill and Ted face the music. Who wants to go first? Yeah. Uh, Me? I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. I'll go ahead, Justin. Okay. I, I would give it, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to do theremin solos. I want to have eight theremins playing together as a theremin <laughs> choir. Okay. Uh, I want to hear harmonies on theremin. It's going to be so uh, complex and intense. I love it. Um, yeah. I'm going to give it eight. Uh, I, I thought that, you know, I, uh, I didn't enjoy the second one quite as much. And so I wasn't sure what to expect with this new one. Um, but it ended up just being like, I feel like really true to the series and you can tell that it's just made like with a lot of love and it took them a long time to get here. And then what the end product is, is so positive and fun. And it, you know, we keep saying it a million times because it's like the right moment for this movie because it's like, we're just like every day is this yeah. endless awful shit. And, uh, just to see something so much fun and it's music. Really? I love music. Uh, you know, it, it, if this movie makes any kid who might watch it or somebody like get into music or find a new appreciation of music, that would just be awesome. And I think that this movie has that potential for people. Um, and I just, yeah, it just really, it just really made me feel good. Yeah. I'm going to also give it eight theremins or theremin solos either way. Eight theremins, each getting their own solo. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's kind of easy to calculate it. It's like minus one for the robot, minus one for <laughs> lack of female character development. Other than that, I loved it. Um I was so happy to watch a new movie and just, you know, I'm a pretty negative person. So if you could win me over with a positive message where I'm not like eh, lame, then I, you know, I take off my hat for you. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I too, I'm going to give it eight. A theremin's a plan. Um, <laughs> I do think that there is, I think that there, that my only critique is that I think that there is a 10 theremin movie in there somewhere. 
and uh, <laughs> I'm bummed that I didn't get to see that version. But that being said, I was very happy with what I got and really uh, appreciate how they've been able to curate the tone of these movies, to preserve their friendship, and to preserve the the innocence of, of those lovable idiots from St. Demas, uh, even in the barren hellscape of 2020. I'm going to give this movie the same rating uh, as my 10th birthday party, Nine Theremins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, man, this movie was just really nice. And yeah. maybe it's just, maybe it's because of lowered expectations that I was really reticent to like get excited for this movie. But it, like, I think it just does everything that you can hope for in a a movie like this that is dealing with subject matter that people are so reverent about that so often uh, you see people make the mistake of like, oh, the movie has to be just as reverent of these characters as the audiences or as the fans are. But that very rarely makes for a good movie. And with this movie, it felt like they were concerned with making a good movie first and then making a, like a Bill and Ted, uh, like a tribute to Bill and Ted second. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that, and I just laughed a lot. I was really like very hard laughing through a lot of this movie. And I, that's very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was really trying to bring it at home, like home and say something really profound at the end, but that I'm, is good. I'm just really uh, bummed that you got to watch it with, with at least a, a small crowd. I think that this yeah. movie play, will play infinitely better than more people you could watch it with. I, um, I gotta say, don't sleep on watching this movie with other people. It, it's great. <laughs> if, if you, if you can safely, yeah, can't safely, you can't safely. You, you, can't. <laughs> you know um, what? Find the crowded the the most crowded mall you can <laughs> and watch this movie on your yeah. phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyler, did you watch the credits? I did. All so, of them. Yes. Great list of names. Yeah, it was a great list of names. There's there was a great solo at the end. It made me kind of sad. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I actually thought that they were gonna die. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I, I thought so too. <laughs> I was waiting for them to die. die honestly. Yeah, totally. Um, and also, I think we should give a shout out to Jillian Bell's lawyers who somehow got her the third and in yeah. the credits for playing that therapist. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that they, were, they were really free with the producer credits and the and credit blocks. Like It's and Kid Cudi and William Sadler and Jillian Bell. Jillian Bell. I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I do like when she runs out just like, nope, nope. Nope. After like <laughs> yeah. one of the historical figures shows up in her. <laughs> She's like, yeah. no. Uh, anyways, so that's pretty much it for us. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on the movie and uh, what we should do next. Uh, right. You can email us at sequelrights at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at sequelrights. Um, Mitch, is there anywhere people can follow your work? Um, you can, I'm on Twitter, rwigham. Uh, I think I'm also that on a Letterboxd. I'm looking for more people to follow me on Letterboxd, so that mm. would be great. Um, and then I do a show on YouTube that is on COVID hiatus, but 
if you like watching uh, the joy of people making music together, uh, maybe uh-huh. check out Blind Covers. Awesome. Great tie-in. Great tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler. Oh, and uh, please send Apple five theremins in our honor uh, so that they know that you like our podcast five theremins much. Or just give them stars if that's easier, if the shipping's too much. That's right. That's right. Well, Mitch, thanks for being here, man. It's so great to have you. An absolute pleasure to talk to any other humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, likewise. You'll do. But especially <laughs> you guys. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, well, you know what? We still have to yet to announce what we're doing uh, next week. But before we get to that, we're going to come back after you guys hear this amazing interview from uh, Jonathan Leahy, the music supervisor and Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, check this out right now. Oh, hold on. Uh, do you want to do that again and I'll give you some smoke for it real quick? Sure. <laughs> All right, we're here with music supervisor Jonathan Leahy, who has worked on TV shows like Girls and Good Girls, and as well as uh, the upcoming and now released... Bill and Ted face the music. Jonathan Leahy, thanks for being here with us tonight. It is good to be with you all. Uh, man, we're so excited to have you on the podcast to talk about face the music, uh, the third of the trilogy of Bill and Ted uh, series. Now, I'm curious what your history is with the series and how did you end up working on face the music? My history with the series is that I was 11 years old when the first movie came out. Um, so that very, very specifically dates me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the 40 plus demo for this film. I I am in the, I'm in this franchise's sweet spot. I am, I am a dude who grew up, uh, playing guitar, you know, playing in band, playing guitar, being a math and physics nerd, having, you know, delusions of grandeur. Uh, and this movie, the first one, Excellent Adventure, came out in 1989 when I was 11 years old. Um, I almost certainly did not see it in theaters. I'm, I, I wish I could tell you some amazing story about the first time I watched it. I, I don't recall. Um, but it was almost certainly watched on VHS at a friend's house with my parents not knowing that I was watching a, a, a PG-13 movie. Um, but I, I love the first movie. I, you know, it's, it's funny. My relationship with the second movie is I watched the first movie a million times, like lots of people. I probably only watched the second movie once when it, when it came out or, you know, close to it when I was at that point, I guess I was 13. Um, and maybe it's just because they didn't run it as much on cable or I don't know. I just didn't watch the second one as much. But I remembered it in my brain. It was like, okay, that's the weird one. That's the dark one. That's the Back to the Future 2 type thing. And it wasn't until um, I got called in for a meeting on Back to uh, on Bill and Ted 3. It wasn't until that they I, 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 I knew I was going to be meeting on the film. I was like, I should go back and watch both films. Like I, I need to like brush up. So I went back and I watched, I watched one and two and I was much more struck. I mean, one was exactly the way I remembered it. It's brilliant. It's amazing. It's funny. It's completely unique um, from the characters to the soundtrack to 
uh, everything. I mean, George, I couldn't believe how much I love George Carlin all over again. But, um, but then I watched two, and I was just like, "What on earth is this film? It's it's weirder and darker than I remember it." And I and I already thought it was weird, um, but it's also I think the 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 first you know the first act the first twenty minutes of the movie are you're like, man, what is going on? Like this, what it, like this is crazy. And then at some point, like halfway through the movie, I'm talking about my most recent, you know, my revisit in last year, like halfway through the movie, you're like, this is so awesome. I think that, I think this, this might, in some ways, this is more interesting than the first film. It's super daring. It's super dark. The, I mean, the art direction, when they go into hell, it, the production design is so Tim Burton-y, Beetlejuice-y, wonderfully weird and a mixture of highbrow and lowbrow. And uh, I don't know the, and then of course the playing games with death is a hundred times funnier. I, 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 I did not properly commit that sequence to memory because upon rewatching it, the games with death are just amazing. Amazing. Um, William Sadler's great. The guys are great. That set they created with, with the crazy blue lighting and the, it's just it's just awesome. And then going to I mean heaven is the wackiest set design. <laughs> I mean it's just so wacky and out there and like you can't tell when they ran out of money, but you can tell that at some point they ran out of money. Um and then obviously station speaks for itself. Battle of the bands, the song choice. That's a weird song choice. I mean, that's a song from the 70s. It's a cover of a cover of a cover from the 70s. Uh, but it's great. I mean, it's, it's great. I, lo- I, I also had forgotten how genuinely great God gave rock and roll to you is as a, as a song to this day. I'd also forgotten how awesome Steve Vai's, uh, harmonized guitar intro to the song is. Um, <laughs> I had also forgotten about the Reaper rap. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I had just forgotten about so much. So uh, this is a really long winded way of saying watching the second film, for the second time was really eye-opening and it made, made me realize uh, probably the most like the most pertinent way it applies to the third movie is it it made me realize that the first movie was its own thing the second movie was its own thing and it was okay if we made the third movie its own thing um that's really what re-watching the first two films did for me and on like a really really specific music on, on, in the music department world, um, you know, this, this guitar player named Stevie Salas played the air shredding and did Rufus's guitar part in the first film. And then Steve Vai did the second film. And it, again, it was like a, a, a non-repetition. It's like, we can do one thing in the first film, another thing in the second film. And I want, I was like, okay, so it can be a different person. Every film. I know that lots of fans are going to, I know everyone's going to say, why didn't you get Steve Vai to do it again? I know that that's fine. That's a perfectly reasonable complaint. But um, I was like, this is a new film. It's 30 years later. We're allowed to get a, a new shredder. And Tosunabasi is very much a, a 21st century shredder. If, if you don't know him or his band animals as leaders, highly recommend checking them out. But in the guitar nerd community, Tosunabasi is the closest thing we have to a Steve Vai of 2020. So I already, that was already where my head was at. And then I went, I, I saw a YouTube video of 
Tosin Abasi playing with Steve Vai and Steve Vai brings him on stage saying, I knew that one day there would be a new version of me. And that new version of me is this man right here, Tosin Abasi. And that's how he brings him on stage. And once I saw that video, I was like, all right, well, I feel like I've just gotten permission from the man himself and it was all meant to be. And certainly we're going to make guitar nerds happy. Um, so anyways, Tosin Abasi, he does all our air shredding. And then I actually had Tosin and his bandmate Javier Reyes in Animals as Leaders come in and do additional overdubs for the song that saves the universe, that uh, the version that appears on the soundtrack. There are no artists that recur from one soundtrack to the next. It's one excellent adventure is one soundtrack with one group of artists, and it leans much more towards uh, pop rock, kind of kind of in like a Def Leppard or a, even a U2 level, like kind of, there's a lot of emotion. It's like a really sweet soundtrack. Excellent Adventure soundtrack is very sweet. Um, the two soundtracks are, are, they're great for many reasons, but one of the reasons I love them is they're so reflective of the movies that they were made for. Excellent Adventure soundtrack is sweet. It's, it's thoughtful. It's really approachable and really, really fun. And, mostly comprised of artists uh, that you haven't heard of or you or you know from other bands they might play in. And some of the projects, I believe, are just kind of thrown together studio musicians who made a custom, custom track for the film. But then the second movie, it gets darker, it gets weirder, it gets edgier. It's like Faith No More and Primus and, and um, obviously Megadeth. Um, so it's like, it's bigger. It feels like oh, I recognize these band names. All those bands have aged incredibly well. You know, the classic era of, of Megadeth among, uh, you know, metal fans has aged really well. Faith No More has gone from, has gone from, you know, little known band to cult status, aged incredibly well. Primus is Primus. Like, will forever, will forever be a iconoclastic uh, band. Um and then Steve Vai is uh, is a, is a living legend, and having him be the shredder and do uh, some of the incidental music and the and the Reaper song, just amazing. Whatever, those two soundtracks are amazing, perfect. I wouldn't change a thing, and they're perfect for the movies that they they were made for. Yeah, why don't we talk about the soundtrack for Face the Music? I mean, it's it's got uh, artists like Weezer, Cold War Kids, Lamb of God, amongst many others on there. Was there a pic- particular artist that you were like super excited to get to work with for this movie? I mean, I Lamb of God, I uh, sorry, uh Mastodon was at the top of my wish list. I think like they call me about the movie and I I start making my wish list and Mastodon is at the top of it. Um so I was really excited about them. Um I mean, I, let's face it, like all of these artists are 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 somewhere on my wish list. It it so happened that Mastodon just like really after reading the script and after watching the first two films again, how something 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 about something about it I was just like, you know who would be perfect for this? Mastodon would be perfect for this. Um I don't know, it's just like a sweet spot. Again, it's it's they're living legends and they felt like the perfect next step uh update of bogus journey um lamb of god likewise metal legends i will say this with those two artists in particular 
and you know poking around the corners of the internet uh, and looking at how fans felt about the franchise i felt a huge pressure to get the metal component of the soundtrack right like we could update it we could change things we could we could you know we could make it different and contemporary but like we couldn't leave behind metal like i, I really felt strongly that if we if we walked away from that we would be doing a disservice to fans and you know we just wouldn't be having as much fun as we could so those two artists in particular obviously were uh, attempt to get the metal right and i mean when when i re- first read the script page I can, I can tell you what scene it is because i as as you know justin i have a thousand folders li- labeled scene 91 yep. <laughs> <laughs> scene 91 swat van escapes from hell uh, <laughs> yes so you can imagine i mean it doesn't take a genius you read a you read a script page that says uh all of the characters pile in the back of the swat van death gets in the passenger seat uh, and slams down his sickle and says, let's rock. You're like, okay, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to put a song right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that was an early spot where I was like, okay, that's, we have to go like, we have to go all out in that spot. And then, you know, we got in touch with, with the band. The band was into it. Um, I think we, I think maybe considered two songs this the track that you hear in the film um worked better it's uh i mean it's just it's a great song how how do you all feel about language can i say badass on this podcast oh for sure absolutely (laughs) okay i mean that song just that song rips it's like it's tough and mean and fast and but it's also melodic and I, i i love that chorus that the the big huge We've got to get out of here. I mean, could you write? <laughs> you might say it's too on the nose, but I mean, it's like to have them screaming, we got to get out of here over that riff while the SWAT band blasts up from hell. It's, that's like. That's a chef's perfect. kiss. Yeah. Music supervision <laughs> moment for me. It's perfect. Um, and then, you know, Lamb of God, uh, also, likewise, we found out that they wanted to be involved and we were like, we would love to have you. Let's do this. And we had that scene, um, the prison scene. Are we doing all spoilers? No spoilers? All all spoilers. So we had that scene where um, uh, the guys, the the like the dystopian future prison, Bill and Ted, all worked out with those amazing tattoos. Um, they were beating up on Anthony Kerrigan's robot, which who we later learn is named Dennis Caleb McCoy. Um, they're beating up on him and we had we had temp scored that scene and it just wasn't like you know they're all like playfully hitting him it's not meant to be violent it's meant to be you know as funny as you can make a a prison yard full of people beating up a killer robot so uh, so we tried we tried a few different things there and then we're like you know what like maybe it would be funnier if like we just went as hard as humanly possible with the, like the gnarliest piece of metal we can find. And I mean, if you're going to, if that's what you're looking for, you should probably call lamb of God. So, uh, so (laughs) we, we got that lamb of God piece and I mean, it just crushes the moment we put it in there and we had the music editor 
cut it. We had him cut it a hundred different ways. Um, we were just like, okay, that's it. Now it has the energy and it's funny and it, it feels, it just feels, I don't know. It's just like the right mixture of menacing and tough and violent, but it still feels fun. So I don't know. It, it like, it did the tone thing that we needed it to do. And the, the instrumental has um, these great, these great parts where the band goes away and it's just a little, uh, 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 little solo guitar riff and those spaces gave us room to carve out space for the dialogue between bill and ted and the princesses so as you justin as you know putting stuff in film and tv like you you need those little moments where a song gets quiet for for a minute so so that it can weave through the scene and and uh that's what we got from the song but there's one thing that nobody has noticed i don't know if anybody here has noticed do you notice what Lamb of God are singing on in the song? No. No. Well, you all know that when they walk into the prison yard, there's the prisoners are chanting the new Wild Stallion songs. And Keanu. <laughs> yeah. And, and B- Bill and Ted are like, oh, well, it's kind of dark, but that's cool. Lamb of God sings that song. That's, that's what the Lamb of God song that's is. That's amazing. <laughs> they, tur- they turned the prison yard chant that Ed... Uh, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, the screenwriters wrote, and they turned that into the song that scores the scene. Uh, so I would encourage you if, if you, <laughs> if you really want to have some fun, watch the scene real quick and then listen to the lamb of God song and realize that lamb of God brought a wild stallions lyric to life. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I awesome. mean, that's that incredible. Was, that was one of my favorite parts of getting the soundtrack done. And, I would be lying if I if I told you I didn't Google to see if people had figured it out yet. I don't think people have figured it out. <laughs> so here I'm 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 giving the news to you. Lamb of God is singing a Wild Stallions prison <laughs> chant song from the future. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, there's a couple uh a couple amazing on camera performances that happen in the movie, and I think there's one that I'm sure everyone would really like to hear <laughs> a little bit about. Um, let's start with the song uh, that's called That Which Binds Us Through Time, The Chemical, Physical, and Biological Nature of Love, An Exploration of the Meaning of Meaning, Part 1. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us about how did this, how did this come all, to be? All credit goes, of course, to Ed and Chris, the screenwriters, for writing that title. Yeah. <laughs> although, although, to be fair... Um, part, part one is an ad lib that Alex Winter did on set. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So they got to the end of it and all of a sudden he looks up and says, part one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and you know, a lot of things in this movie are, are like that. They're all, they're the, the writers and the talent and the department heads like riffing and, and just like having fun with it. Uh, but yeah, that's a small example of it. So, okay, so that we see that song title, and uh, uh, I think this, I think the first draft of the script I read just said, you know, there's a bunch of instruments on stage, and they they play something, and it's a total mess, and uh, Deacon and Missy try their best, but uh, it's impossible to dance to, and it kind of laid out, you know, it was it was pretty clear what it was supposed to be, um, as you know, as clear as that is, I guess, but we all got it. We're like, okay, you know, these are in my mind, what it was, was akin to 
Spinal Tap's Jazz Odyssey, (laughs) where it's like, they should just be making Spinal Tap music, but like, they're just trying so hard. They're like, whatever. All right, let's give it a try. Free jazz. Fine. Um, And, you know, it's very early in the film. And as silly as it is, it actually serves a really important story point, which is to show you where Wild Stallions are at in, in multiple ways. It shows you like that they've they're trying so hard to find the music that will that will unite the world that they're they're grasping at straws at this point. They're looking for inspiration in just by trying everything. They're throwing spaghetti at the wall. They're trying everything. So I think that's you know as silly and as goofy as that moment is, it kind of makes it immediately clear where they're at as a band. They're just like they're lost. They're lost. They're trying everything. Um, and then secondly, you know, the point is to get a laugh because it's, it's, it's really funny. It should be really funny. So, uh, there's a, there's a third thing though, that we talked about a lot, which is at the end of the second film, Bill and Ted practice their instruments and they get good at their instruments. Um, and we didn't, and it's been 30 years since then. So we didn't want to treat them like we did not want to treat it as if they were incompetent, like they're not incompetent. They're not bad at music. They're just, they lack direction. You know what I mean? Does that, yeah. The difference mm-hmm. makes Absolutely. sense. I, I liked that you, with that song, like, you know, they're playing on all these crazy instruments, but you can still hear like a, you know, coherent melody going through. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, and striking that balance was, uh, took a while. We, <laughs> you can imagine we, Prior to shooting, we had about 20 different versions mocked up by different artists. Actually, back up a sec. Before that, there was a huge round of emails where we all talked about what instruments should be on stage. And I gave I gave the, the director a long, a huge long email with links to see people performing all these different instruments and brief histories of the instrument and, you know, uh, what region it's from. It's... Uh, cultural significance, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very nerdy email to try to make it interesting. But at, at the end of the day, it's something that you got to shoot on camera. So we tried to stick with instruments that are fun to look at, fun to watch people play. There's lot, plenty of instruments that are just not particularly inspiring to, or funny to watch people play. But the bagpipes are very funny to watch someone play. <laughs> and, and the theremin is very funny to watch people play. Um. And I think I think uh, I think throat singing was written in from the very beginning. That was probably an Ed and Chris idea. Um, so yeah, I feel like saying this. I'm realizing we Alex got the short end of the stick. He had to do the throat singing, but then Keanu got to play bagpipes and theremin. Um, anyways, uh, so we I think I had like 20 different versions mocked up. I played them for the director and the producers. You know, the group chose a favorite. Um, I shipped stems of that, of the, everyone's favorite track to the sound mixer for the day of the shoot. It was really actually one of my favorite stories of production is that Keanu and Alex were super eager to get all the performances, at least correct their, their physicality with the instruments they wanted to get correct. So I had, first thing I did was I sent a multi-instrumentalist named Wendy Wang um, who's a great songwriter, artist, producer in her own right. Um, I asked her if she would go to New Orleans to be with Alex and Keanu to be their general music coach. 
So she handled that. She handled a lot of the guitar stuff for later when they play in the, uh, they play the open mic night, the $2 taco night. Um, but in addition to that, uh, I, the, a producer called me and said, Hey, Keanu wants, uh, to take bagpipe lessons. He really wants to get the bagpipes right. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, so it sounds like a hilarious assignment. Like you have 24 hours to find a bag, <laughs> a, a bagpipe teacher in new Orleans for Keanu Reeves. It's not, not your everyday <laughs> thing. Anyways, uh, you know, I got to tip my cap to a couple new Orleans music connects one. Uh, his name is Jay Weigel and one is, uh, another Jay, Jay Pennington. They were referred to me from, uh, from some other friends in the business. And they're like, these guys know everybody in new Orleans. So I put the word out. I was like, Hey, J and J I need, I need a, a, some options for bagpipe teachers. And lo and behold, I, <laughs> I had a bunch of recommendations for bagpipe teachers. I, I, I kind of like gave them all a pre interview over the phone. Cause I didn't want to send, I wanted to make sure we were sending a, a I just wanted to take their temperature a little bit before I sent them into sure. Alex yeah. and Keanu's dressing room. Yep. <laughs> so uh yeah so he he took uh bagpipe lessons trumpet lessons they both took lots of guitar lessons um they just put work into it it felt like it felt like the goofy musical equivalent of john wick doing his own stunts like <laughs> he he was like he was super super serious and and so was alex alex actually I also found a throat singer to vocalize the throat singing you hear on camera and set up a, uh, a zoom throat singing lesson for Alex winter. So Alex winter is also like has been coached on throat singing. So those two dudes <laughs> are just amazing. Like, are amazing. Yeah. That's so they're cool. amazing. They're the, they're, they're the, the, the smartest, most dedicated, funniest, awesome people you could hope to work for. Um, Anyways, that's a very long-winded way of saying that while the scene is funny, they took their approach to performing seriously. Um, because there was a because we all agreed there was an important um, subtext to it, which is they are not buffoons, they are not incompetent, they are just a little bit lost. So, anyways. So you just mentioned we, this massive email chain that was, you know, incredibly nerdy about all the different instruments and things that yeah. you wanted to get in there. I'd like to hear a little bit about when uh, the daughters are traveling through history and you have all these like, you know, you like, okay, now make a list. If, you know, if we're going through instruments and, and have this exhaustive email, now what did the list of all of the artists of all time look like? And there's what were those conversations like? There's a lot of emails. <laughs> there's a lot of emails on that thread. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think most of the ideas that you see in the film were present in Ed and Chris's early drafts. And, uh, we talked about lots of different ways to approach it. Um, you know, there's, I, I, I was kind of torn personally about it because, um, the story that we're trying to tell about the daughters is that Billy and Thea are real, real crate digging music nerds. Um, and if, if I'm thinking, if I'm, if I'm thinking critically about the choices of Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, Mozart, it's that they're too obvious. Right. And I, and I hear that critique, but the other, the other side of the coin is 
at what point do you do you go so esoteric with your with your character character choices that that you've just like completely left the realm of Bill and Ted big fun goofy comedy like we don't want to we don't want to make any viewer feel lost or like we're trying to show off or you know we could have gotten really really nerdy and and there are certainly really really nerdy options proposed of musicians living and dead that would be really funny all over the world across genres uh, all kinds of instruments. One of the things that we talked about was, you know, uh, one of the things I know Ed and Chris have talked about this, so I feel like I'm allowed to talk about it. Um, they talked about Elvis early on. And Elvis obviously is super fun, iconic. Um, but as much as I love Elvis's voice and I love Elvis as a pop culture icon, um, I mean, you could certainly say Elvis is virtuosic in his vocal performance, but there is, he was not a virtuosic instrumentalist and it would have been an odd fit to put someone, I, I'm going to go to music hell for saying this, but I don't want to, I don't want to say that Elvis got by on charm or got by on his good looks, but because that's not what I'm saying, but that was like a big component of, of what makes Elvis Elvis. And that's, that wasn't what we were selling in, in, in the final scene. We were selling a group of virtuosos coming together. Um, so that was kind of like what I think we ended up sticking with that. We're like, if you're on this stage, you have to be, everyone has to know that you are a virtuoso without question. And, and, you know, of course we're making a band. We can't have five guitar players. Um, so we had to spread it out over different instruments. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think that the 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 song from the beginning of the movie. I can't remember the full title of it at the moment now. But that which, uh, you know, that, that which binds you through time, <laughs> yes, chemical, physical, time. <laughs> and biological nature of love, an exploration of the meaning of meaning, part one. Part one. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you said that it had three functions, and I actually think it had a fourth. For me, it kind of. Uh, gave the bona fides for the daughters to have, you know, this real crate digging, you know, music fan status, because I kind of felt like that they were going through all of this, you know, being lost in the weeds with their dads of picking through all these different types of music, all these different things. And so I thought that that kind of was a building block for the relationship as well. And kind but, of fed into what your, what their character beats that you were trying to get to with, you know, who they visited. No, you're totally, you're, you're totally right. And, um, uh, that was actually written explicitly into the script. It said, you know, it said Billy and Thea look on from, from the side of the dance floor and they appear to be the only people who understand the music. So that was, that that was, yeah, that was uh, intended from, from Ed and Chris from the very beginning. Astute, astute of you to, to pick that up where, where I had forgotten it, but yeah, it, it, it does draw a bond between them. And, you know, right after when they tell their dads or, you know, in the garage when they, when they tell their dads, you know, forget what pop said that was, that song was uh, most luminous. Yeah. I mean, the friendship between, between fathers and daughters is really, really lovely. I mean, it's so wholesome and cheerful and supportive. Yeah. It's great. Um, very good point. Um, but, oh, there's one last thing I want to say about the, the, that which binds us through time though, which is, so we had 20 different mock-ups made. They're all great. Director picks his favorite. We prep it for the shoot date. Alex and Keanu 
go all out learning the instruments. The, uh, the prop master does a great job getting all the props there, everything looking, you know, looking just the way it should. And, um, <laughs> and then 24 hours before we shoot it, I get word. They're like, Alex and Keanu uh, are not going to use the pre-recorded song to mime along to. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like they're, they want to do their own thing. They're like, trust us. We got this. And I was like, Oh no. Um, (laughs) Nightmare. uh, Yeah. But to be honest, you all know what it's like to put in a bunch of work and then have something end up on the cutting room floor. I think my initial reaction to it was a purely selfish, like, Oh, you know, we put so much work into it. It's going away. Um, In hindsight, not even in hindsight, in immediate hindsight, as soon as the dailies came in, we were just like, oh, that was clearly the right choice. <laughs> because Alex and Keanu just did their own thing. They're funny as hell. Um, and they weren't constrained to a tempo or like any particular sequence. You know, we know we knew that Alex was going to start with throat singing and Keanu was going to start with on theremin. But after that, it's kind of just like a free for all. And so what they did is just much, much funnier than it would have been if they had tried to mime along to a pre-recorded track. And then, you know, the challenge, <laughs> as it is on every film, is up to uh, music department to fix it in post. So we, we cut the scene together and then we made a new song to fit. Wow. Uh, well, speaking of challenges, the, the, the final uh, song in the movie is supposed to be a song that is like so amazing that it saves the world and unites the world, saves reality. I was almost expecting like to not even hear the song because it's like that's such an ambitious thing to then then have the song play in the movie. Uh, so I was yeah. like, uh, I was excited when they did play it and the way it comes together is really cool. And I was wondering, you know, like, yeah, how did you go about creating this song that is supposed to be like the greatest song of all time? Yeah. Um, you can imagine my like my my pulse rate as I read those pages. I'm like, oh, oh, that's great. Oh, we're gonna hear the song. Okay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, and uh, believe me, it dawned on me that the the challenge that Bill and Ted face in the movie is the is the challenge that the music department faces in real life, <laughs> and the fact that it took so long to get the song done. I mean, we were, I, it was comical towards the end. We were just like, where is the song? Where is the song? And I'm, I'm like emailing the director back. I'm, I don't know how to tell you this. I, I don't have the song. Um, it, was, it was a very life imitates art uh, process. But so just like, just like the, uh, the wedding song, we started with uh, a ton of pre-recorded ideas Um we kind of chopped up the work. I had I had some artists do full length versions. First of all, there's an Excel spreadsheet on my computer which would make you all die of laughter. How, like how, how nerdy it is because the the rows are yeah the rows are the vertical ones yeah the rows are every character that's on screen from Kid Cudi to Chief Logan who. Uh, in the in the film i think he ends up playing a clarinet i think yeah but in the script i think he's he's playing something else anyways we have jesus playing a cowbell we have people at we have people at wrigley field playing recorders and dulcimers so all of those people have their own row in my spreadsheet right and then my columns are 15 second intervals 
<laughs> and they're listed like what all those people are doing every 15 seconds. Oh my gosh. As best I can tell it from the way it's scripted. And the way, the way I ballparked it from the script was that it was going to time out to be five minutes and 45 seconds long. So that's for 20, 23. So that's 23 columns of 23, 15 second columns. That was the only way I could wrap my head around it. Like how, how are we going to plan a piece of music that hits all these beats for all these people that are on screen? So I planned it out very meticulously. I had a few artists, um, take a stab at recruit, basically musically recreating my spreadsheet. Like this is what's going to happen at three minutes and 30 seconds. We need to hear, we need to hear, a uh, a mandolin. So, uh, and, and one of those actually turned out really well. Um, and was very close to being the song that we used, uh, as playback on the shoot day. Um, meanwhile, we knew we made a decision very early on that the song was not going to have, um, was not going to have lyrics for the very simple, uh, for the very simple reason that if you're uniting people throughout space and time and geography, that you probably couldn't rely on a single contemporary language to, to do that. So as, as, uh, as you all know, doing a lyricless vocal chant can very easily turn into a Honda commercial. (laughs) Um, and, and I respect, I completely respect any online criticism that says the song that saves the universe sounds like a commercial because we're, we're, we're in that place. Um, where, yeah, people chanting along in a major key, woes and yeahs, has a certain flavor to it. Totally get that. But we didn't see a much better alternative, you know, um, from, I mean, take your pick of any of the songs that end with a great na-na-na outro. It still kind of works. Like, you might hate it. You might go on Reddit and say you hate it, but it still works. Um, anyway, so we knew it was going to have a big lyricless um hook uh, at the end and you know we talked about a lot of things we were like picture a giant football stadium all chanting together like that's the best that's the best that we could picture like you know the closest thing we could picture and right now is uh, you know right now that song is seven nation army but we're not uh we're not we're like okay in no way shape or form is this song ripping off seven nation army but um you know, that's what pe- people like to do that. They like to sing in unison, big, hooky, simple melodies. Ours is major key, obviously. Anyways, uh, it's, uh, we're getting way in the weeds. but um, So that part had to be good. So I had a whole bunch of people just demo 30-second, 60-second um, football stadium chants. Like, what would it sound like? Just don't try to conceptualize the whole eight-minute, really complicated piece. Just try to come up with some great hooks that you could sing in a football stadium. So we kind of attacked it from both sides. What would the whole thing sound like? And what would the hook, the final hook sound like? And we knew that we were going to save uh, the guitar solo as a, a final overdub to match whatever Keanu and Alex did. So the guitar solo itself, we kind of, you know, pushed until later. Um, ultimately, and, and this is where life really started to imitate art. There was a song that was approved by the director to shoot to. Oh, keep in mind, I should probably tell you this. At this point in 2019, my wife is nine months pregnant. Um, and, Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> <thank you. laughs> 
and uh, it's it's like 24 hours before we're shooting the final scene with a million extras and all the you know you know the most expensive week of shooting I think we shot the final sequence in four days um, and we have an approved song for playback I've shipped stems to the music editor and the uh, the onset uh, sound tech and the last second it gets vetoed by another producer and like like can you imagine like trying to get trying to get 20 producers to all agree that one song is the song that saves the universe it's never it's never gonna happen you you can't get three people to agree on their favorite song (laughs) nope (laughs) much much less 20 uh the song that we were going to use for playback gets vetoed uh and we go into that final week of shooting with no song and like now i'm feeling like now i'm really feeling like like uh bill and ted they're like where is where is the song guys we have no song we have no song so they shot the sequence to a click track and you know it turned out that what what dean was able to capture on set turned out great like they did a everyone did a great job miming uh one of the things that i insisted upon was that we cast a real professional drummer to play grom and you can't do that scene you i mean you can't do the movie without a professional drummer playing grom you can't say let's go get the greatest drummer who ever lived and then cut to a person who clearly does not play the drums. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy. I can't, I I just, I can't say enough about Patty Ann Miller. She was great in the film and she's just a lovely human being. Uh, Anyway. So it helps a lot that we have a real drummer playing to a click track and like really holding it down for the band. The band does their thing. They have a great time shooting it. Kid Cudi is there being awesome and then then the the piece starts to come together in post they start they start cutting the scene together and what me and the music editor decided was well let's let's take a look at the close the best like the close but not quite songs from our huge batch of stuff that was done prior to shooting let's revisit those and see if like there's anything that we can mine um and cut together and what we ended up doing, and I say we, what he, the music editor, ended up doing was taking one of those full-length mock-ups, you know, like a six, seven, eight-minute mock-up, using that as kind of a skeleton, and then cutting in multiple of our favorite football stadium chants into it, like shifting the keys, shifting the tempo, making disparate pieces of music play together. And we called that the Frankenstein. Um, and that, that more or less like that continued once the Frankenstein was built and a director and producers heard it and they're like, Oh, you know what? I know that it's weird and awkward and clumsy and, you know, rough around the edges, but it's actually kind of interesting. I wish I could say that I planned this and it was like some evil genius move, but if you're going to try to make something kind of feel sloppy and like feel like it was born out of a jam session between different people who'd never played together before. It's kind of a great way to do it is to just take, take 10 different ideas from 10 different people and then cut them together and kind of sample them and pitch them and time them and make them work together. It's kind of, it seems kind of smart now that I'm saying it, it, (laughs) the the benefit of hindsight. Anyways, that's what, regardless, that's what we did. (laughs) All part of the plan. (laughs) We took a bunch of ideas, 
And, uh, you know, through the modern miracles of Pro Tools, Elastic Audio, Serato Pitch and Time, we made them play together. And, uh, and we're like, okay, this is, this is, this is interesting, but it's like really ugly. If, and if I'm being honest, that for the first version didn't really rock. It was like, it was kind of pop. It was kind of, it was felt much more like a, a straight up Honda commercial. Um, and we were like, okay, we need to make this, we need to make this rock. And I called, uh, I called this guy who had actually, I had just connected on Facebook. He's a fantastic guitar player. His name's Joshua Ray Gooch. Um, at the moment, I know this sounds completely random, but at the moment, his his primary gig is being Shania Twain's guitar player. <laughs> um, he's he's just a, a ma- so I knew you I knew him as he was Shania Twain's guitar player. I knew that he played these jazz gigs on the weekend, and he hap- when he plays jazz, he sounds a lot like John Schofield, who happens to be one of my favorite jazz guitar players. And so I was actually following him because of how much I loved his jazz playing but I knew he played rock and Americana um, and country in the Shania setting. And then one day he posted a Facebook story of him and some friends playing in like their prog metal, like just for fun side project. And I was like, Oh my God, that is wild stallions. Um, and uh, anyways, I, I just, I, I sent him a message. I was like, Hey man, can you, can we meet up and just talk about this film I'm working on? He came over to my house. We hit it off. Sweet, sweet guy. And, uh, I laid it on him. I was like, Hey man, I'm doing Bill and Ted and we needed the song that saves the universe. And we have this weird Frankenstein that just doesn't quite rock. And it's kind of like messy. And it's like, you can see where the stitches are between the body parts. And, uh, I was like, is there any chance that you would like, take a crack at re-recording this in a coherent rock band style that more closely adheres to what we see on camera. And I have, I have no idea why I trusted him and I have no idea why he trusted me, but he was like, yeah, all right. Yeah, let's do it. So he, so, you know, get him to sign the NDA and, and all the legal stuff. And then I hand him a hard drive with the, with the movie on it. And with, you know, with the, and, and I think I gave him a pro tool session of the Frankenstein, the Frankenstein at that point was, you know, probably 32 tracks, super messy, super messy. Uh, if you were to solo any of those tracks, they, they sound like absolute garbage because they are all, because they're, you know, they're elastic, they're stretched in time to death. Uh, so anyways, he took the Frankenstein Pro Tools session and he and his musical partner, Cor- a guy named Corey Churko, um, who is Shania's other guitar player. <laughs> and also, I mean, he's got, Corey Churko has some amazing rock cred though. I mean, he's also, he's played, he's played in Snake Pit with Slash. Nice. Um, it, whatever. It, they're, whatever I can say about their resumes doesn't fully do them justice as musicians. They're amazing, amazing musicians and great producers and engineers as well. Um, so Joshua and Corey take the Frankenstein session. They have the movie to look at and they re-record the whole damn thing. Um, and they make it sound like a real band playing and they get really, really, really granular. Like if you see Jimi Hendrix's hand slide down the neck, then you, they, they played the fret buzz and, uh, 
you know, when if someone's tuning up or if someone's switching on an amp, everything, they hit everything. Um, I call, they were like, you know, a week later they call me back. They're like, Hey dude, it's done. Uh, let's, uh, we really love to show it to you. And I was like, yeah, I would really love to see it. And again, I don't know why I trusted him that much. I didn't even hear it. I was like, okay, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to set up a meeting. You, me, the director, picture editors, and the main, one of the main producers, a guy named Scott Krupp, who produced the first two films as well. We all meet up at editorial. I haven't heard a note of what they did. I just, I just felt good about it. I can't tell you why. Wow. <laughs> and we go in, they, they give the, the picture editor their stereo file. Uh, he drops it. He drops into the, the edit. We all sit back on the couch. They hit play. And like, it was great. It was, it was just immediately great. But that's at this point, we're like 25% of the way through the process. And your podcast would need to be like seven hours long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but suffice it to say, when they handed in that, that first, their first draft of re-recording Frankenstein, we, the, the picture edit was not locked and the picture edit would change a hundred times after that. So I didn't want to, to be honest, I didn't want to burn them out by having them try to chase the picture edit and constantly reconform and re-record and remix and this and that. So I was like, okay, you guys take a deep breath because you put in a tremendous amount of work. Um, we're just going to make music. We're going to take your stereo file and we're going to make music edits to keep it synced with picture. The picture edit is going to keep changing and we're just going to, we're just going to make little trims and tweaks to your stereo file. And when picture is locked, then we'll call you back. And so that's what we did. You know, we went through tons and tons of picture edits. The, the end of the film was re was was rethought and redone so many times. There's so many different ideas about ways to end the film. Um, uh, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even tell you just, there was a lot of different ways considered <laughs> to how, how we could end the film before we landed on, on what you see. And once we had picture lock, we called Joshua and Corey back and we we're like, Hey guys, good news. Pictures locked. We, uh, uh, you remember that beautiful thing you did? Well, we've turned it back into a mess. It sounds it sounds like a complete train wreck all all over again. So they had to reconform their multi-track session, and also amazingly, the first guitar solo was was sixty seconds long, which is already twice as long as any guitar solo in any pop song. I mean, even the in, even the even an indulgent eighties uh, guitar solo is only about thirty-five seconds long. Yeah. And our first guitar solo was 60 seconds long. And that's what Josh and Corey first did. And then when picture locked, they handed, they handed over a cut that needed a 90 second guitar solo. <laughs> and I was just like, I mean, it was really, we were really indulging ourselves with that one. Um, but uh, so they had to go back, they had to reconform. They had to turn a 60 second solo into a 90 second solo. And at that point too, once we had picture lock, I called Christian Scott, who was the trumpet player who had played Louis Armstrong's horn parts earlier in the film. And uh, I was like, Christian, we, we need you one last time. We need you to do Louis's horn parts for the end of the film. Now that we have this the song finished that saves the world. And I also called back the, uh, the musician who played Jimmy earlier in the film, a guy named Ray Swen. Uh, so Ray Swen came back, did overdubs. Uh, Christian Scott did his trumpet overdubs. Um, there's some Mark Isham, our composer, who's also a trumpet player. There's some Mark Isham overdubs in there. Um, 
who else all the all the recorders and woodwinds and weird stuff um uh is a multi-instrumentalist named jesse mcginty um but crucially i haven't said their name yet but they're they're super crucial to this whole process uh a company called heavy duty music had provided a lot of the custom uh uh, the original hooks that made up the original Frankenstein. And so they were already authors of, of most of the song. And, uh, you know, for your listeners who don't know, heavy duty music is uh, a music production house started by a, a world famous, uh, artist, writer, producer. I, I, I talked to Ariel way like a year ago, like before we started shooting, because I was like, if somebody can write a song that saves the universe, I think it might be him or his people. And sure enough, that's what ended up up happening. We, um, the pieces largely hooks and melodic ideas that came from heavy duty music. Um, but they're also, they're also a production house. They could, they can fully produce a track as well. So since they were already an author of the, of the song that we brought them back in for final overdubs as well. And it's like, it was really like a, like an all hands on deck thing. Like, Everyone from from the from our Louis to our Jimmy to our authors at Heavy Duty um, to our composer Mark Isham, like everybody came in and contributed final overdubs once we have picture lock, and so there's a lot there's a lot of ideas <laughs> um, happening in that, and it, it it it's tricky because as you know because you've seen the film for about half of that song it's not really working as a song it's actually it's kind of playing as score. It has to score the moment between um, Bill and Ted and Joe and Elizabeth in the phone booth. It has to be like this sweet, it, it's really acting as score in that moment. Um, and it, it also has to score their takeoff when the phone booth becomes infinite. It has to score the moment when the phone booth arrives back on stage. Um, it has to punch up when they give their daughters high fives um, obviously it has to transition into this epic guitar solo. It has to, it has to do a lot of, a lot of custom things. And as much as possible, it has to, it has to be somewhat believable. Like if you see Louis playing a trumpet, you have to hear Louis playing, uh, playing a riff. So shoehorning all of these creative, um, needs into one piece of music was just took a lot of effort. Yeah, man. Well, I think, I think, that turned out, I think it turned out really great. The The ending is super fun. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It, I'll, you know, I'm glad that you think that, I think that, that obviously makes me happy and, and relieved. It's one of those things. It's like, it's not, it can't possibly make everyone happy and it can't possibly live up to everyone's expectations for what a great song is because, uh, we all have genres we prefer. We all have styles we prefer, but the best we could hope for is that, it sold you on the mood um, and it, and it helped tell the story. It like, what's really important. I mean, the single most important thing is that when Bill and Ted arrive back on stage, they see what their daughters have done and they realize, and it really fully dawns on them and dawns on everyone that this was the point. The point was for them to empower and believe in their daughters. And, and then, and then immediately after they swap places the daughters believe in and empower their fathers by, by giving them their guitars and having them play a guitar solo. So 
like just telling that story and having the music be good enough and powerful enough and uh, uh, just like help. We're just trying to get people caught up in those feelings. And certainly with a song with no lyrics that plays for almost eight minutes, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to be a two and a half minute TikTok banger. It's going to be <laughs> going to be, it's going to be something else. Um, it, yeah. It's much more a piece of score than anything else. Well, uh, Jonathan, it's been great talking to you. Uh, and it was so awesome to have you on the podcast tonight, man. Um, it, very much my pleasure. Yeah. If people want to, you know, check out the Bill and Ted face the music soundtrack, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure it's up on Spotify, iTunes everywhere. Yeah. And if you yeah. want to, ha- if you want a bonus, uh, podcast where <laughs> we just talk about really nerdy spreadsheets, we can also do that. Cause I want to hear more about that, but, uh, thank you so much. Right. Yeah. It's a perfect spinoff. Yeah. It's a, it's a great spinoff. Yeah. Um, you guys, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that you enjoyed the movie. I'm glad that you, you liked the, f- the, the, the song at the end of the film, especially. Uh, it's just a huge sigh of relief that we made it. And, you know, the soundtrack, uh, it, the songs don't get to play for an awfully long time in the film. A lot of the songs that are on the soundtrack are very, are very brief and very quiet in the film. I hope uh, you and all of our fellow music lovers dig into the soundtrack because the artists like really brought it like the artists who we asked to contribute original music like it they they can they made some amazing amazing recordings for this soundtrack so i hope that it's it's my small wish that the soundtrack uh, has a life of its own as a a standalone thing yeah you you have any uh any word on if they're going to be putting out a vinyl version of that one i can confirm we are doing vinyl yes You just made Justin so <laughs> that's all, happy. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> I, I, you know, that that's breaking news on your podcast. I have not told anybody else. That Fantastic. Sweet. Yeah. Very Is cool. there anywhere that people can check you out online or follow your work? Um, I am a, I've gotten very political on Twitter. So <laughs> you're going <laughs> to have to put up with a lot of, of political rants on Twitter. But I, 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 I enjoy interacting with, with people about uh, music, film, TV on Twitter and uh, Instagram. I'm so easy to find. I don't have a blue check mark, but you can find me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks, John. Thanks for being here tonight. That was great. My pleasure. Well, we just wanted to say thank you one more time uh, to Jonathan Leahy for being here. Uh, that was a great interview. Follow him uh, on Twitter and Instagram, like he said. And, you know, now that you guys are back, why don't you take a long, stupid walk with me as I introduce what we're doing next? You know what? It's still, it's it's just barely September, right? So there's still a little bit of time left in summer, okay? And it's been so hot, you guys. It's been so hot here in L.A., you know, what do, what do you like to do when it gets hot? You might want to go for a swim. What do you do when you go for a swim? Well, you might just splash around in the water a little bit. We're talking about splash next week. Oh, we're doing a twofer. Oh, my God. That was a long walk, long walk off a long hey, pier. I said a long, stupid walk. I don't know if you remember me saying that. Mere but at the end, ago. there was a splash. So, yes, yeah, we're was... talking about the Tom Hanks mermaid comedy splash. Oh, boy. 
I was really hoping that you were going to start dipping into the venerable swim fan series. <laughs> hey, that could happen. Justin, were you with me that time where we were at Bigfoot Lounge and the guy from Swim Fan was there and we made our <gasps> trivia team name Swim Fan Fans? I and think got it and left. I think I was. <laughs> How dare you? And I felt terrible. I, Isn't that I the guy for Bring It On? Uh, I believe. I think it's the yeah. same guy. I can't yeah. believe you did that to him. <laughs> it was not. It was not a villain tent, but. I'm just impressed that you could recognize the guy from Swim Fan. I certainly didn't. I believe it was uh, former podcast guest Nick Snow. Yeah, this was multiple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we're talking Splash next week. Bring your, bring your, uh, bring your flippers, your floaties, whatever you need, and your gills, goggles, anything, and your buddy's VHS collection. (laughs) That's right. We'll see you guys next week. We're talking Splash. Splash. Splash.